look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popowich. How are you doing? I'm good, Faisal. How about you? I'm doing well. Awesome. Cold, but well. Yeah, well, it is winter. I'm still recovering. From? Our Christmas party. It was a good one. It was a good shaker. I had to leave early, too. I was up at 5 a.m. <laughs> by 9.30. My my uh, my girdle was hurting. Hey, you're running out of juice. I looked a little bit thinner that day, didn't you I? You looked fantastic. Yeah, you're all gussied up in the penguin suit. I had the tux on, so I you looked about up good. five pounds lighter. People thought I looked healthier, but <laughs> I took off that bow tie and everything came out. You amazing. know, <laughs> yeah, I thought it was, uh, it was a great party. The only thing I'll say is, you know, it's been a long year for a lot of people. Uh, the Alberta economy, jobs in Calgary, the way the markets are going, volatility, all of it. And it was nice just to get together as a community of people that are all experiencing retirement yep. together, okay, um, and the world hasn't come to an end. Things move on. Yeah, and, and speaking of people going through retirement, there's been some changes coming that have come out from the uh, provincial government. Uh, the Alberta government has introduced a bill that could change the way people, uh, the way property is handled between uh, common-law couples. Right. Yep. And that's, that's a, a big change. Many common-law couples in Alberta, about one in ten, so... Uh, we, there's a big change happening. We're going to find out uh, about that and how it uh, it could affect you. Well, and people's we're going to talk also about uh, people's um, vision of retirement and the reality of retirement because uh, they're often different. A lot of people are discontent. Yeah, with retirement because the vision doesn't actually match the reality. Correct. And so we're going to talk about how do you become content in retirement. There's right. a difference between retiring and retiring happy. Yeah, exactly. And so we're going to talk about how to become happy. That'll be a cool. Uh, that's a cool piece. Um, okay. Um, so this week's news it was more than just uh, you know the water cooler talk, more than just our, our Christmas party. Yeah, big change came out from the uh, communication of the uh, Bank of Canada. Mm-hmm. We'll start there. They uh, they did not raise interest rates, no surprise there. But they did have one piece of their communication that said they're going to see non-inflationary growth. That kind of spooked the currency traders. Dropped our currency below seventy-five cents versus the U.S. Well, and pricing out some, some, I think, the aggressiveness of maybe that was priced in in terms of Bank of Canada interest rate increases. Yeah, and growth, and I think growth will slow down in Canada. I think um, what's coming out of this as well is uh, there's an impact because of oil. Sure. Finally, yeah. somebody that actually talks from an independent office to the federal government saying um, the impact of oil is here. Yep. Uh, and, that's, and, and that's the sentiment we're having in this province and in this city, you know, right. like it's... It's out there. So uh, big, big change in the communication, the format of the communication from, from the Bank of Canada. So it was, it was uh, a very interesting move to see how the currency reacted to it. Yeah, and weak relative to the U.S. So if you were not paying attention, we did see it uh, fall relative to U.S. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Volatile week today. Well, again, very, very noisy environment, um, creating instability and, and volatility, some of which, of course, has been driven by... Um, the conflicting reports about whether or not we're making progress towards a U.S.-China trade deal yep. or not. Um, bond markets are in, in interest rate markets are moving around, yep. um, and that's creating some confer- concern for people. We've still got this Brexit issue on the go. I mean, there are reasons to be concerned, for sure. And there was this technical thing called an inverted yield curve mm-hmm. that spooked the market. For those who don't know what an inver- inverted yield curve is, the general term, in, especially in the U.S., is when the two-year interest rate is higher than the 10-year interest rate. Normally, you want higher interest for committing your longer money for term. a longer period. Uh, and right now, we're seeing the two-year 
higher than the five-year, right. the three-year higher than the five-year, which are early signs of recession. Now, we've gone back and did our research and we found that if you invested on the day that the two-year becomes higher than the 10-year, which we're not there Which is yet. not, yeah. Not, we're not no. there yet. Yep. But if you did, 70% chance that over the next 12 months, the average rate of return on the S&P 500 is 29%. Right. So by making a fearful conversation of recession is coming, therefore I should get out of the market, yep. could you could be leaving a lot of money off the table. Good. Yep. And, and so the, those are the things you need to be aware of. And I think right now people have got the emotion of fear in there that when you start bringing out these stats and so forth, they it, it just kind of goes over their head because they're not they're not thinking clearly in that, that stuff. They're more focused on so people like you and I who just stay disciplined, stay to our our mm-hmm. our, our uh, approach, our our strategy works. It does prove to be um, to, to, to be there for people over the long term. And what I mean by long term, we talk about a, an income bucket that pays for 10 years of cash flow. We have a growth bucket that's designed to grow over 10 years. So you've got money coming while you're growing over that time. And it's not going to happen every day or every month. But um, the, 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 pur- the purpose behind our strategy is to show how you can actually bulletproof that retirement using those two buckets yeah. over time. You know, and I'm, I'm going to raise a topic that we've talked a lot about <clears throat> over the past couple of weeks. And that is, how do you arrest fear? Can you can you beat fear with facts? No. Yeah, I, I've learned that the hard way this this last couple of weeks. Yeah. Talking to people about the facts, and it's just it. And I had a conversation with my own father. He's yep. like, oh, "Well, should we get out of the market?" And I'm like, "Well, let me show you all the information." And he just said, "Shut up, Faisal. I have. I'm scared. I I don't care about what yep. your your facts are and your statistics. I want I want to know that I'm going to be okay." And so. It's. It, it was an interesting thing. I was my father who said shut up to me because he normally does say that anyways. So, <laughs> yeah, but, nothing abnormal there. Yeah, right. It was a regular day. Um, <laughs> but but uh, he, you know, to, to actually articulate that he was scared because of the volatility is, uh, is a good thing. And I think part of our job is to explain to people that, you know, given our strategies and so forth, they are going to be okay. Um, we understand that there's fear. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's normal to feel this way. Um, especially when you're going through retirement, it magnifies it more. And so it's, it's okay to feel this way. It's um, taking a deep breath, take a step back and then say, what do I need to know in order to feel better? Well, it's part of the contentment. And, uh, you know, having said what I just said, uh, I, I accept and I know from experience that you can't beat fear with facts, but facts do become important, right? And, and um, proper planning uh, is, is, plays a role in ensuring that the lifestyle that you envision given that it could change over time, right? Mm-hmm. But the one that you envision, you can do some um, some proper planning around that. Yeah. Um, it, it Does it completely override the fear when things are, are messy and going crazy? No, it doesn't. No. Okay? But what it should do is it, t- it should take you back when there's, you know, you, you can, that fear subsides a little bit. It takes you back to say it, things are going to be okay, right? Hope isn't a strategy. You can't just hope it's all going to work out. Correct. Right? So we've got to do some work. You need to take some time to do some work to see and stress test what does it look like. Yep. Right? So when you do, when we do financial planning as an example, and I like to go back to my financial plan uh, at times of stress uh, because it's not about just the best case scenario. That's not what I'm planning for. What I'm planning to understand is what happens if things break down. You're such a pessimist. 
No, I just want to know where the bottom is. Yeah, that's right. right. We I want to know. We call it, it a pessimist, right? But there's a, <laughs> but there's a range. There, there's a range, man. There is. There is. There is. There's absolutely. a range. Yeah, yeah. I need to know how how I can actually achieve the lifestyle I want with the least amount of risk. That's what when I look at my plan. Right. That's what I want to look at. Again, now we're working. We're employed. We got money coming in. So the the well, and we're doing it every day, right? right? And and we're not relying on. Um, our portfolio to fund our future spending. Right. And so when people see gyrations, and I'll give you an example, a uh, $2 million client of ours saw a 2% drop, $40,000 said to me, that's half, that's half a year of income. Right. Do I have to go back to work? No. Right. right? But that's fear. Right. It's not logic, it's fear. Right. right? You got so much money, Let's just take it slower, and we've got to understand the fear and move from there. Yeah, no, exactly. Okay, uh, maybe enough said about that. Let's uh, let's wrap it up. We've got a seminar coming up. Yeah, on Tuesday, January 22nd, 7 p.m. at the Crowfoot Co-op Wine, Spirits, and Beer. You need to reserve your seats. We are selling out on this. We have hardly any more space left. Selling out is not the right word. We're filling up space. We want to educate, inform, and uh, motivate many Canadians. So do come out. Uh, you do have to register by giving us a call, 966-8400, 966-8400 is the number, or register online by visiting morethanmoneyradio.com. If you're living, uh, living or know somebody living in a common law relationship, the rules are potentially going to change with a material impact. You need to stick around for that. Join us after the break on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Love and marriage, love and marriage, go Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Uh, Faisal, things change all the time, as we know. And we're not just talking about stock markets, but laws, taxes. I mean, everything is in a constant state of change. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been some, uh, or at least Alberta has introduced a bill to change the way that property and, and adult child support rules work for couples who are married versus couples who are not married, so common law. Uh, and we thought, uh, you know, there's a lot of second marriages, second relationships, you know, in uh, sort of that 50-plus crowd going yep. on. This is an area I think we need to to stay on top of. We've got Marcus Sixta, who's a family lawyer, uh, accredited family law mediator, and a registered collaborative divorce lawyer working in both B.C. and Alberta. Nobody better to help us understand what these uh, proposed changes actually mean. Marcus, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Well, let's just talk a little bit about uh, the bill. Maybe you can start with maybe at a high level. Marcus, just give us a sense of what is being proposed and what the changes are. Absolutely. So the the government of Alberta introduced Bill 28 to amend the Family Law Act and the Matrimonial Property Act on November the 21st. It still needs to go through first and second reading, and then eventually it will reach royal assent. And these changes will come into force um, uh, January 1st, 2020, at least with respect to the changes to the, uh, the Property Act. Um, generally, what the changes are going to do in terms of property, it's going to create a situation where common law couples are now going to have the same rights to property at the end of a relationship as married couples. So that's a a really big change. It's a change that BC implemented a few years ago. And fundamentally, it means that now in a common law relationship, when that relationship ends, if it ends, then the parties will both be entitled to receive 50% of all of the assets and debts accumulated during that relationship. Now, you can correct me if I'm incorrect here, but the uh, the big change between common law from a, tax, or a law, um, 
divorce or a breakup perspective, common law versus married, was really dower rights, was property rights. And that is this effectively leveling the playing field essentially between what was the common law rules and, and versus the married rules? Exactly. So it levels the playing field in terms of how property would be divided upon separation. Mm-hmm. Previously, and, and I should say actually now, the, the current situation in Alberta is such that for common law couples, we have been using these arcane legal doctrines to figure out how to divide up property. And it has created a lot of confusion, inconsistent precedents coming out of the court, um, lots of different decisions. It's at a point where lawyers have a very hard time giving people good advice on what would happen if you're in a common law relationship and you split up because the decisions are sort of all over the place. Mm. There's just so much discretion involved. Whereas on the marriage side, you have the Matrimonial Property Act, very clear, straightforward. It just says it's 50-50. There are some exemptions. There are exceptions, I should say, to the 50-50 division. But generally, the principle is it's just all going to be 50-50. Marcus, when... Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. With common law couples, it could be anything. It could be a range of zero sharing of the family assets all the way up to 50-50, depending on many different circumstances. So with with this proposed change, um, people who are transitioning to our living retirement, let's call the 50-plus crowd, they've got, you know, they're blending families or they have adult children, they have children in post-secondary education that they may be uh, obligated to or just may be funding uh, to help them out. It becomes more complex, I believe, when you have a common law relationship uh, and, and you're, you're going through that, that period in your life. So walk those listeners through that are in a common law relationship. What do they need to be aware of? And if they have a different view than the 50-50 that you're mentioning, what should they do to, to protect themselves? Well, yes, one, one, of the, one of the issues here is that it's creating a creating a situation where people will need to opt out of that 50-50 division. When I say opt out, it means that they will need to come to some agreement. We call them prenuptial agreements or cohabitation agreements. But an agreement that says we are going to split up our assets differently than what would happen under the legislation, which is 50-50. Now, right now, common law couples many of them, I would suspect, are in common law relationships because, you know, there may be many different reasons, but one of the reasons could be that they don't want those formalities. They don't want to have to deal with a 50-50 division of all their assets. If somebody is in a second relationship, let's say that they've already gone through a marriage, they've been divorced, many uh, couples that I see later on in life are in a common law relationship during that later period because they've already gone through the rigmarole of the marriage. It's less important for them. And on the property side, they don't want to have to share everything 50-50. This will change that. So it becomes very important to think about putting in place a cohabitation agreement that would outline how property would be divided in the event of separation because you need to opt out of this legislation that's going to be in place um, January 1st, 2020. Is there anything in the legislation that says 
Um, when you opt out, you have to be somewhat reasonable. They, you you just can't go to zero, for example, as uh, as the rules are today between zero and 50-50. Um, can you still go to zero, I guess this is the question, because a lot of people are going to be concerned about bringing in assets into a relationship and seeing the growth of those assets from the date of relationship till maybe when breakdown happens. Um, how do they how do they handle that kind of situation? Well, yeah, so it's important to structure an agreement so that it's going to be upheld. And you need to think about how you can do that and looking forward at all the different circumstances that are going to happen in, um, in your lives. Um, in Alberta, you can challenge agreements if there have been things like coercion. So if one person is um, pressured unduly to sign something, the pressure can be um, just emotional uh, pressure, emotional abuse. If there's any kind of physical abuse or anything like that happening, of course, that can be considered coercion. If there's duress, if someone feels financial duress, like if they don't sign something, then you know money is going to be taken away from them or their support is going to be taken away from them. That could be an issue. Or if there's a failure to disclose funds when an agreement is signed, that can be an area where uh, an agreement can be opened up because someone can say, I didn't know. I didn't know that that person was worth all this money. And if I knew that they had all these assets, I would have never signed this agreement. So those are the rules that, that would apply in terms of making an agreement that is going to be upheld later in terms of uh, those types of challenges. But fairness is also something that should be considered. Right. Um, what would be fair uh, upon the breakdown of, of a relationship? So your agreement will be stronger if you are, um, uh, you know, not being um, really hard on a zero percent um, sharing of assets. If there's some type of plan put in place to um, provide for the person who may not have assets at the end of one of these relationships, that will create a stronger agreement. Yeah, okay. And so let's talk about uh, should this get royal assent in 2020, January 1st, this comes to effect. Is it, uh, are there any grandfathering? Is it immediately retroactive from that day forward then, uh, you know, the new rules apply on the 50-50 or is there a transition period? How, 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 does the, how do the courts and how do the legal system handle that? My understanding based on what they've proposed right now is that it would just start in 2020. So if you were to separate after that date, then I believe these new rules would apply. Right. So if you've been in a relationship, in a common law relationship, and then you separate after January 1st, 2020, that these new rules will apply. Um, that's that's my understanding of, of, uh, of the of way it's going to work. Yes. That's very interesting because about one in 10 Albertans are in a common law relationship. Okay. Is that right? One in 10. So when you have that kind of a number, many of them have not probably thought about the cohabitation agreement. We yep. talk to a lot of our clients yep. who are in, in are entering second relationships and we talk to them about a cohabitation agreement and uh, they don't they don't have one or right. they've never thought about it. Right. Um, or they're, they don't know how to do it. Yep. Um, and so this changes everything that you know you, what you thought was going to happen and then if there was a a uh, um, a breakdown in the relationship that the game has now changed completely and that could impact what your thoughts were about your financial situation and program exactly. and everything else yeah, yeah for sure uh marcus we're going to have to uh sign off here uh, very shortly if somebody's interested in getting some more information about this how do they reach you they can reach me at crossroads law um 
So you can just go to our website. It's uh, crossroadslaw.ca, and um, we are doing these types of agreements all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have an office in Vancouver, so we are used to these types of rules being applied to um, to common law couples, and um, we provide flat rate um, cohabitation and prenuptial agreements so people know what they're going to pay before they enter into one of these things. Terrific. Thank you for sharing your expertise, thoughts, and giving us a bit of guidance on that. I appreciate all your time today. Thank you very much for having me. We've been joined by Marcus, uh, Marcus Sixta. He's a family lawyer, accredited family law mediator, and a registered collaborative divorce lawyer working in both B.C. and Alberta. Clearly, Faisal, things are you know, getting more complicated. Um, and you know, we, we say this word often, but it, uh, it, it leads to planning. Planning you know, is very, very important in these cases. And people plan for what could possibly happen in the future on the positive side. Right. People ver- uh, rarely plan on what could happen on the negative side. Right. Um, and so that needs to be uh, taken yep. into account. We also don't plan for the negative issues or impacts when you transition to retirement. What yep. could go wrong? Yep. Um, there's a lot of hope out there, but there's no real protection on the downside uh, in the event things go wrong. And that's what we're going to discuss at our seminar, Dave, on, on Tuesday, January 22nd, 7 p.m. at the Crowfoot Co-op Wine, Spirits and Beer now. Uh, we're already starting to get people to fill up the room, so you need to reserve your seats. Please give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400, or register online at morethanmoneyradio.com. Stick around after the break. We're going to talk about why people don't stop working, even if they can. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Um, you know, retirement is about more than money. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Not that you'd know it, you know, given the weeks that we've had, right, and all the fear that's been yeah. created, but it, it is about more than money. And we also named the show that, too, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there you go. We've got uh, Dr. Michelle Panner-Silver, who's an assistant professor at the University of Toronto. She's also the author of Retirement and Its Discontents, Why We Won't Stop Working Even If We Can. That's an interesting concept. Uh, Michelle, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm interested in your thoughts uh, around, you know, what, what people envision their retirement is going to be. And then how things actually differ in reality. What does real retirement look like? Sure. Well, I think it's probably safe to say that most people can't wait to retire. I think yeah. that's, um, that's a fair generalization. And, uh, uh, but my research has led me to a group of people who, for whom their work identity is very closely intertwined with their personal identity. And for this subset of people, I think their expectations about retirement were um, were sadly unmet um, when they were either forced into retirement or sort of acquiesced into it because of social norms that they perceived mm-hmm. that it was their time to stop working. Yeah, we, we yeah, that's an interesting one, that last one, right? There's a there's an expectation that when you hit a certain age, you should be retired. And there's also an expectation of what that retirement should actually look like. Uh, but it Faisal, you and I know it's very different often. And part of what we talk about is what, what do you, we know what we're retiring from, right? Correct. Everybody's clear about that. Yep. But what are you retiring to? Exactly. And to speak to Michelle's point about the social norms, should that involve some form of work, whether it's paid or volunteer, right? Paid or otherwise. Yeah. Michelle, your thoughts on that. So what, you know, what, what's the conclusion in your research about people's experience uh, if they either want to continue working because they enjoy some form of work or perhaps some people just need to do that to fund their lifestyle. Sure. I think 
I think, you know, it depends on the individual. It depends on their skill set. It depends on, um, you know, what their health, their financial situation, their caregiving obligations. Um, you know, what I found is that there's actually quite a bit of ageism out there in the mm-hmm. workplace. And, um, and that, you know, a lot of people are sort of... Um, pressured into making way for the next generation or um, given these ideas that they're somehow not going to be as productive or um, not as up to date. And I think that, you know, at at a social societal level, um, we we spend, you know, quite a bit of effort sort of helping people um, into early career transitions. And um, and I think that we really ignore the later stages, um, where I think there's quite a lot of opportunity and potential gains, not just at the personal level, but at the social, societal level as well, um, for a very um, highly skilled worker to just sort of stop working is, you know, can be a tremendous loss. Um, So, you know, to say what it should involve or what retirement means, I mean, that's really what I tried to explore in my book, um, was, you know, what does retirement mean to people? And uh, and I followed their personal stories and experiences um, uh, of a subset of people who um, were really highly accomplished individuals, CEOs and doctors and academics and um, very high-level uh, performance athletes and homemakers as well. And, and, and each of these people, you know, had, you know, sacrificed a lot for their life's work. And when they retired, um, they found that, you know, it didn't quite involve what they thought it was going to be. Well, let's talk about that disconnect, okay? So they've got a vision of what it is, and there's a reality of what it actually is. What, what's, what's the impact of that disconnect on people, uh, you know, in, in terms of the research and the people you followed? I think the disconnect can be quite devastating. I mean, you know, at the least it sort of leads to this sense of of discontent um, because, you know, society has these expectations of disengagement or, you know, uh, if you look at like the media images of retirees, it's often couples uh, walking on the beach or, um, you know, in the side-by-side bathtubs, right? You've seen the ads. Um, uh, and, it, you know, it's pretty much um, geared towards the consumer market um, and, you know, assuming uh, that that this is a, um, a market that should be spending. And um, and I think that, you know, there's a real disconnect for people who um, are single, who, you know, are not, you know, going to be a couple walking on the beach or who, um, you know, might enjoy walking on the beach for a day. But, you know, when it gets to be like several days or when every day starts to feel like a weekend, um, the lack of structure, the sort of autonomy or the suggestion that you should, you know, sort of disengage from society, I think it, it can be a real challenge. Yeah, it would definitely be a challenge. Um, in your research, did you find people um, changing their what, the, what they want to do? They may be financially ready to retire. They're able to be financially independent. But they're just changing gears. Um, they're they may be doing one profession and they're they weren't truly happy, but they want to try something else, even if it's not for profit or they're not making any money out of it. Um, are they are they moving into doing something else? I think the successful and by successful, I mean you know the more content people that I interviewed, absolutely, that's exactly that's exactly what they did. Um, you know, they might have like like I said, I interviewed CEOs, people who had been quite financially prepared, but um, emotionally, we're not prepared for this um, independence and this sort of sense of um, of lightness, right? Of sort of lack of grounding that 
work had always brought them throughout their adulthood. You know, they had just like, you know, achieved, achieved and risen through the ranks. And, and they, you know, they started to get a certain sort of sense of accomplishment through their work that fulfilled them personally. And, um, and I think you're absolutely right. When, when people change gears and, um, and found other sources of fulfillment, I think that um, that was, that was really key. You know, I, like I interviewed athletes who, talked about um you know once they stepped down from the podium that nothing ever gave them that sort of adrenaline rush uh that competing uh physically had and i think that um that when they sort of let go of that and realized that you know things are going to be different but because you know the the athletes i interviewed retired very early in the life course they were forced to shift gears and um and when they did those who were able to um to actually you know you know commit to a, a full pivot um, that that they did they did uh, you know we're more likely to find uh, contentment. Let's uh, we're quickly running out of time, but I would like um, your comments on after having done all this research and speaking with these people, maybe share with us uh, as a parting note, um, you know, a couple of quick suggestions, things that you think, in general terms, people should be doing in order to have that contentment and have that successful retirement transition. So I think for, you know, um, people who have gained a great sense of fulfillment from their work and who have dedicated most of their lifehood or their adulthood <laughs> to thinking about their work, I think they would do themselves a great service by dedicating some of that energy that they focus on scheduling and, and programming and planning for their work to just sort of um, reach back into their early adulthood or maybe even childhood and think about the things that that they wanted to get out of life and that they enjoyed in life and, and to whenever possible, start practicing, you know, maybe like take a break and go for a walk during lunch. Right? <laughs> like most of us forget to do that anymore. And, and just to start practicing doing things that, um, that are, you know, about other aspects of their life. And I, and I think employers would do well to um, think and devote some energy towards later career transitions and um, help people to gradually retire, think about more creative ways to keep people engaged, um, especially those who are highly productive and interested in continuing to work. And then the bottom line is that nobody should feel pressured into retiring. You know, usually it's it's kind of the opposite. And uh, But I'm, I found there's a subset of people who feel that sort of pressure, and it, mm-hmm. it doesn't really do anybody a service to mm-hmm. um, to jump into it. Michelle, thank you very much. We appreciate all of your input today. Thank you. We've been joined by Dr. Michelle Panner-Silver. She's an assistant professor at the University of Toronto. She's also the author of Retirement and Its Discontents, Why We Won't Stop Working Even If We Can. You can search that up, get access to that. Um, Some good insight there. We're going to talk about this whole process of retirement at our upcoming seminar. Uh, Money's important, don't get me wrong, but it's a much bigger topic than just money. That's right. We'll be talking about that on Tuesday, January 22nd, 7 p.m., at the Crowfoot Co-op Wine, Spirits, and Beer, you need to reserve your seats. So give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or you can register online by going to morethanmoneyradio.com. Okay, stick around after the break. We want to pick up on what Michelle said, and we're going to talk a little bit about the fear and how to create contentment in retirement. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back to More Than Money on 770 CHQR. You're here with Dave and Faisal. 
Uh, you know, Faisal, an, an in, interesting show today. I mean, the common theme here, if you think about it, is planning. Of course, there's some, some changes taking place or being proposed from a legal perspective. One in ten Albertans, as you said, living in a common law relationship. Here in Alberta. Yep. Here in Alberta. And there's some changes on the on the table that in 2020 could fundamentally change the way that you need to protect yourself or uh, be fair or um, treat your common law spouse. Yeah. It's going to it, there's going to be some major changes. It's a game changer from what you thought you were right. going into a common law relationship to what it's going to be in 2020. Should there be a breakdown in that relationship? Correct. Uh, and so planning, you know, becomes an important piece of that. There is some time uh, to do that. The, you know, the last segment talking to Michelle, and we've talked about this um, uh, on a number of occasions, but it is this planning, what I'm going to leave. Everybody's clear on that, right? What we're, we're retiring from is Correct. clear. It's not always clear what we're retiring to. And I think Michelle's research would certainly support our experience with our clients and other research that we've talked about. So I sent a note out or posted on my on my personal Facebook and and, and LinkedIn page, and, and I said, um, keeping up with the Joneses can cause havoc in retirement. Yeah. Just be happy. Yeah. Just be happy. I think there's a lot of pressure on people to, number one, retire. Right. You're getting at that age. You should retire is what right. we hear. Right. Or how old are you? When are you going to retire? Or you're viewed negatively if you don't retire. Well, there must be some problem, right? You can't afford to do it, right? Correct. It's that ageism, That's... that that yep. that, uh, that impression of what, it's, what retirement's supposed to mean, right? Which is totally wrong and changing correct right. and then you also see individuals trying to keep up with the joneses right so i have friends neighbors whatever it may be that are doing a certain thing they're retired they're traveling they're doing all this fun stuff i need to do it too right and they look like they're doing well i've, I've got some money i should be able to do it too well everybody's friends are always richer than them like it's a, it's amazing right amazing yeah amazing and it's 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 not true, but and it's not even necessarily based on what the you know the individual you're talking to wants. And it doesn't matter, right? And it really doesn't matter. <laughs> like Dave, you're you're wealthier than I am. I know that you've got more money than me. I don't care. I really don't care. And I and, and the reason why I can say that is because I know what happiness is for me. Right. And I think that's the key thing. Like you and I will handle our retirements completely different. What you plan to do, what I plan to do, are going to be night and day from each other. Right. But we're both going to be happy in retirement right. because we get to choose. And that's the beautiful part about retirement. I, we should change that word to financial independence. Right. You get to do the things you want to do, do when you want to do it. At the pace you want to do Correct. it. Correct. Right. And I think that's what we're missing. And so when there's pressure of retirement, when there's pressure of I need income to support a certain lifestyle, the volatility of the markets like we're having right now magnify the fear. Right. It magnifies the issues that people have. When, and we've had conversations with many of clients who are concerned about this volatility. They're in fear. Um, it's very difficult to start bringing out the mathematics. Yeah, that's and talk about yeah. logic or yeah. what's happened in the past or you know, here's how the structure works. Right. Here's our four buckets. It doesn't matter about that when it comes time to fear because... I think it's you, you, you focus on one side of your brain, not, not the other side of your brain, which gives you the logic side. And during when other you're going to fight, flight, or you know freeze. Those yeah. are the three things you can do yeah. when, when, when there's a big issue in front of you. And that's where I see when people are trying to keep up with the Joneses, when people don't know what they're retiring to, they just need more. Right. They just need more, and they're going to take on more risk. They're going to make emotional decisions, yeah. which may not work out for them. 
and that causes a bigger problem. But you know, it's it's interesting. This issue of more, um, uh, we've got we've got a range of families that we work with, and, and they have a range of different wealths, and everybody worries about the same thing. Correct. <laughs> yep. So when people say, "I just want more," well, okay, how would that change your life? What would so I, I'm going to go back to this planning, right? And it's this notion of. Uh, and we can cite lots of anecdotal evidence of clients who really have no reason to fear retirement. They're financially independent, but they may not have, um, they may not be clear themselves or as a couple what it is that makes them happy. Correct. What's contentment mean? Correct. Right? Um, and it will change, right? Like you say uh, regularly in our seminars, your view of retirement will change every couple of years. And there's lots of things in your life at that stage of life that will change the way you look at retirement. Correct. And that's okay. That's part of the process. That's normal. So right? I sat down with a couple that wanted a second opinion uh, this week, Dave, and um, I asked them, what's what's the definition of happiness in retirement? Right. And they looked at each other, they looked at me, and they looked at each other, and, 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 and the wife said to me, well, I just want him to stop working. And I asked him, was that your plan? And he goes, mm, well, it's what she wants me to do, so maybe. And I go, okay, we'll, we'll back up here. Back up. That may <laughs> not be slope. the right strategy. <laughs> Before you pull the pin on that one, right. you might want to investigate. So I made them do an exercise, right? 31 things you want to do in retirement. Right. And the each. First, each. Each. Individually. Yep. Yep. Do not communicate your answers to each other right. until you've completed that list. Right. And then he asked one question. He goes, well, what do I write in those 31 things? And I go, that, exactly. <laughs> what you want to do. Yeah. What's important to you and what you're going to find out is what you value right. out of that, right? And so you're going to come up with things you can do together. Yeah, that's just, that's, I call it just passing time, right? right? It's things that you can do together. But what's your true definition of happiness? And in one of his responses when he was saying, well, I can think about traveling, but I also want to start up my own business. And she looked at him and she goes, what? I never knew that. Right. He just wants to explore the concept right. of running his own business, being right. his, being in control of himself and his time. Right. And hey, maybe make a profit out of it too. Right. That's a different viewpoint. That's happiness for him. Right. And I'm not one to judge. I, 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 I'm not living in his shoes. So right. I think that's a good thing. I think when we have these preconceived notions about what you should be doing based upon somebody else, and that could be... Right somebody else's view. And I asked her, I said, why do you want him to retire? Why don't you want him to work anymore? Oh, well, my father passed away when he was 65, so I don't want this to happen to my husband. Right. And that was the trigger. Right. It had nothing to do with the money. Right. had nothing to do with right. the concept of retirement. We had come across with these, these, um, this, these baggages that we right. bring into, a, into the concept of retirement, and that those fears kind of overbear the, the reality of what it should be. And doesn't, isn't that an interesting point, right? So when you start going um, beneath the surface response and asking about it, right, what came out of that conversation for her is really a health bucket conversation. So what if you explore, right, get a, get a proper health assessment, get that fear out of the way. He's fine. And then make lifestyle choices Correct. that support that. Now we've got contentment. And, and, and I, I, I had it in my back of my head. I never said this to her. And I should have said something like, well, what if he retires and then dies at 65? Right. The, the response is the same. The gear, right. You don't want your husband to die at 65. I right. get that. Right. But I don't think it's the work that's killing him. Right. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Well, it could be. I mean, it could be a stress issue. Could and, be. Right? That's right. For sure. But there's that fear. And so we're bringing in our own baggage into that, into the, the retirement conversation, which also brings in a lot of misconceived notions about right. how money should be run, how things should happen. And that's when you have market volatility like we're having, that just magnifies it. It does. Let's go back to the 31 for a second because I want you to share... Um, your experience when you do these things. Do all 31 items necessarily or should they match? Absolutely not. 
Right. That's I've never seen that happen. Right. And if it did, it would scare me. Right. I would probably start to cry <laughs> because it shouldn't. Right. It You're shouldn't. two individual people. You right. didn't meet because you do everything the same. Correct. Um, and, and you'll find that people write down things like, I'm going to go for a walk. Right. But then what are you going to do for the other, you know, 42 years of your life? <laughs> right. People are living 100 now. Like yeah. there's a lot of years in retirement. Right. So what are you going to do with the rest of your time? Right. And, and when you go through the 31 uh, uh things to do in retirement, it's usually the last 11 where your true values start to come out. Yeah, you're digging deep. Yeah. You're, you're digging deep at that point. Because you're, you're the, the, whatever the media or marketing has yeah. been pushed on you about what the, the glamour of retirement is usually right. comes out right out the get-go. Right. But the true meaning of what's important to you is usually in the last 11. So I challenge every single listener to, uh, to try doing that. 31 things you want to do in retirement. Have your significant other if you have one. Do it separately from you, and then compare your compare your responses to each other at the end, and you'll build a, a he list, a she list, and a we list, yeah. and then you can kind of figure out what you guys can do together and what you can do individually, and then what's most important to you. Right, and then let's take it one step further. So once you've got that list, if you've done it, and we'll take your word that you've done it, email us, call us, we'll send you a copy of our book, free. There we go. Right, Bulletproof Your Retirement. We'll give you the framework on how to take those 31 things, he, she, we, put it into a framework that allows you to be content and bulletproof your retirement. Beautiful. Love it. Okay, um, we got to wrap it up, my friend. We got a, a seminar coming up in January. Let's talk about that, and then we'll uh, we'll close off another show. Yeah, we're going to talk about how you bulletproof your retirement on Tuesday, January twenty second, seven p.m. at the Crowfoot Co op Wine Spirits and Beer. You need to reserve your seat, so give us a call nine six six eight four zero zero or register online at morethanmoneyradio.com. All right, and a reminder that you can access any of our past segments on morethanmoneyradio.com, or you can have them do, uh, delivered directly to you. All you have to do is search for More Than Money CHQR on uh, Apple Podcast or your favorite podcast app. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.